Today's episode is brought to you by a very special food edition of our Channel 33 podcast. Katie Baker and Danny Chow bring you two stories on the best Oaxacan restaurant in LA and a vegan burger that bleeds. You can listen to this by subscribing to Channel 33 at iTunes.com slash The Ringer or wherever you get podcasts. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. Uh, Today, Andy is out. So we had a special guest, Cam Collins from The Ringer, who's one of, uh, he's basically our movie critic, and he uh, writes beautifully about film on TheRinger.com. You can read his writing there. Uh, Today, we talked about Get Out. Uh, we did a spoiler it, that that is a spoiler conversation about Get Out. So that's about 20 minutes of the first po- first half of the pod. And then for the second half, we talked about the movies that we're really excited for that are coming out in the next couple of weeks, month or so. So we talked about Lost City of Z, Kong, Skull Island, Beauty and the Beast, Alien Covenant, uh, The Circle. So it was a really fun conversation just kind of going all through movies. I'm going to be back on Monday talking about Taboo, Billions, Big Little Lies, a bunch of TV stuff. So we'll we'll knock the TV stuff out on Monday. Today, movie conversation with Cam Collins. Thanks for listening. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, the Professor X of my timeline, it's Cam Collins. <laughs> Hi, Cam. What's up? What's up? Andy going? is out today, so Cam is joining me to talk movies. We're going to be talking about Get Out, and then we're also going to talk about some of the stuff that we are excited for over the next couple of weeks, specifically Logan, James Gray's Lost City of Z, uh, Kong, all sorts of stuff. So I'm really excited to talk movies with someone who watches them uh, not on an airplane. And Cam, it's <laughs> it's great to finally have you on the show. Yeah, absolutely. This is fun. So you wrote about Get Out for the Ringer earlier uh, this week, last week, you, I guess you wrote about last it was Friday. Last week, this yeah, yeah. Um, it was a relatively huge success in the box office. Uh, I was curious whether or not you were surprised by its popularity. Uh, yeah, I'm a little surprised by its popularity. I knew that it would be a big deal because I think I think everyone loves you know everyone loves an early year horror movie. I just wasn't expecting it to be the biggest movie of the weekend. Yeah, and um, and so you know, beloved. Right? You know, it, it was uh, until recently had like some kind of like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and it was just uniformly adored. It's pretty incredible. Uh, and friends who've been going to see it in theaters have said that the, the theater experience of this movie um, is unique, is uniquely fun. Yeah, I mean, it's like you talk about like crowd pleasing and usually it's something that is uh, we internalize like, oh, that was a crowd that pleased me. But it's it's wild to be in a movie theater where people are just like, Yes! That was awesome! Like as soon I, as it's over, like I, I remember Loop, Looper was kind of like that. Like when, like some of the stuff that happens in Looper, people were just like, "This is why I go to the movies. This is so great." Absolutely. You know, it reminds me. I, I went to see the Blair Witch uh, sequel in in the regular theaters, and there was a lot of that participation during the movie. But by the end, we were all kind of like, uh... "Yeah, it's just like, that movie is so tough on the nerves too, because half of yeah. it is just strobe light in pitch black darkness." It's it, yeah, and, and Get Out is Get Out is just. I mean, I think to be honest, part of it for many of us is that you know the last season of Girls is on right now. I think we all have feelings about Marnie. I think we allow... <laughs> yeah, that's right. It is. It is. It this is really, really just. We needed this movie, I think. So um, let's talk specifically about the movie. It's obviously. Um, I, I've been trying to sort of piece this together with the success of this, with the success of Split, um, and the kind of 
I, I feel like a lot of the horror movies, and you talk about this in your piece, are um, it's it's strange now that we are it, it, horror movies have always drawn from collective social anxieties anyway, and collective um, yeah. societal kind of uh, you know th- th- like talking points or whatever, for lack of a better term. But right. um, it, it seems like in the absence of that much lamented mid-tier movie, the mid-tier Hollywood drama, that horror movies are actually taking on a lot more of the responsibility of being the kind of frontline reporting about what scares people, what excites people, what people are actually, like, their their deep-seated kind of... um, you know, fears are. And, and I was thinking about Green Room, you know, you think about Split, yeah. you think about yeah. Get Out, and, and the way that it's kind of investigating this kind of terror that we have on the fringes of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Jordan Peele has been really good about talking, you know, about the social thriller or the social issue thriller as a thing that he's really interested in and as a thing that Get Out is a part of, a part of a tradition of movies that are just interested in taking big social questions and scaring the shit out of us by pushing them to the most extreme, <laughs> right? Like like the extreme place that they can go to. I think it's really exciting that so many horror movies are taking on weird little nuggets of culture. Uh, but I think that even in that context, Get Out is better than better than the rest, I think. Uh, it's just unusually sharp. Yeah, and so I think his, his his eye for satire, I think, really elevates this a little bit. And it's it's such a delicate tightrope he walks with the balance of comedy and, yeah. and horror in it. Can you talk a little bit about what you think elevates it? Well, I mean, for example, well, I don't want to, you know, spoiler alert. Oh, no, you can spoil it. I don't want to ruin it, but, you know, there's, for me, what's really striking about this movie is that the scariest moment in the film comes late in the movie um, and it involves a cop car. Um, and it, you know, there's, it's after a bunch of violence, it's very gruesome, but the moment that really hit me in this film, um, was when I thought that the cops were going to come do something yeah. to, Dennis that's how Blue's I thought it was going to end too. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and it's, it's a little bit of an echo of night of the living dead where the black character, who's the hero of the movie is fighting off all these zombies. And in the end, the cops come kill him because they mistake him for one of the zombies. They they mistake him for the threat. Um, it's a, it's a little bit of a, you know, a a nod toward that, but in the contemporary context, it just really, really threw me. Uh, and in the, in the context of Jordan Peele and Keen Peele and their kind of eye for, um, humor. Yeah. Humor does a lot in a, in a horror movie. Like you're laughing so much of the time, you're laughing uncomfortably the rest of the time. But then those jolts of pure terror really hit you. I think when the movie is otherwise sort of satirical. Yeah, it, it's um, it's interesting to think about it in the context of. I mean, Keanu obviously wasn't as successful yeah. in a film, but even right. some of their sketch work, where uh, they they're obviously like deep deep lovers of genre and they like to like immerse themselves in that but at any given point the bottom can drop out of the genre and they can kind of have like these incredible moments of comic relief i i was kind of curious whether you felt like this movie would have been as effective if it didn't have um those moments of incredible comedy you know what i mean like if it didn't have those moments with um lil rel where you're getting like this break from what is obviously this incredibly horrifying moment. Yeah, you know, I think, yeah, comedy is really what makes this stand out, isn't it? It's it's like, I think for Jordan Peele in particular, his his feel for satire 
sets him apart from other horror filmmakers that I think we have right now. You mentioned like Green Room and you mentioned um, even if you add movies like It Follows, yeah. The Witch. Um, they're all they're all putting their finger on something. But they're not funny, right? <laughs> they're not, and they're not, and they're not really even weird in the way that satire can be. There's just something very unsettling about just not knowing whether or not something is meant to be funny um, in this movie that really does something to me. Even, even just, even just the casting of Allison Williams as like the uber white girlfriend um, is is hilarious. But then he takes it to a place that really makes you think, wow, Allison Williams is really, hey, this is the perfect role. (laughs) This is she never she's never been she's never been better than this. She will never be better than this. This is the perfect role for her. Um, But he takes that persona and really pushes it to a place that's just um, pretty remarkable. He seems to be very aware of what we think of what we think of tropes, what we think of horror traditions, what we think of characters who make stupid mistakes, Um, because he is a horror, you know, he's a student of horror um and he doesn't just repeat or reiterate these earlier things he really he takes them and pushes them to somewhere that i haven't really seen them go before it's, I an think important, it's pretty exciting yeah it's an important point because like he is not moonlighting here like he definitely has right. like a grasp of like all these polanski moves and another thing that's come up a lot in horror movies over the last um year or two maybe three or four years especially with this um reverence that a lot of horror filmmakers have for John Carpenter and like yeah, this kind of right. the 80s aesthetic is this um I guess it's like it, it, it's like domestic interior zoom shots of like creeping yeah. dread that is like lurking in a in a like ultimately bourgeois like setting you know and the way right. that he uh is able to do that which is like I think he's talked a lot about Rosemary's Baby and drawing a lot of inspiration from uh that there's this incredible scene you ever see that documentary um Visions of Light the cinematography documentary yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't remember who shot Rosemary's. Uh, William Fraker is talking about Rosemary's Baby. And uh, he's talking about Polanski comes in, and there's a scene where um, Mia Farrow is sitting at one end of the hallway, and um, Ruth Gordon is all the way down the hall. And it's right when, just right when the, the sort of creep is coming into this movie. And Mia Farrow looks down the hallway, and it's a really easy shot. And Fraker was like, you know, we had it all set up so that you could see Ruth Gordon perfectly down the hallway. And Roman Flansky comes and says, no, 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 move move the camera like six inches to the left. And he's like, oh, OK, great. Of course, six inches to the left. Like, what, what, what was I thinking? And now you can't see her. You can only see her shoulders. Mm. And he said they screen the movie for the first time and the entire theater peers to try and see around the corner of the doorway where Ruth Gordon is. And it's those kinds right. of little choices that and Jordan Peele makes a lot of choices like that where it's like the first time you see the door open where the pictures are in the earlier part Absolutely. of the film or, you know, just the way that Catherine Keener looks at him from the very moment he comes in that are, are the difference between this and and a movie like, say, Don't Breathe, which is just more of a straight how stressed out can I make the audience type of horror movie. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and I mean, to your point, he he has a way also of, of uh, dealing with faces I think a lot about the faces in this movie. And there's the, the very popular um, images in the advertisement of Daniel Kaluuya, uh, tear-stricken, looking terrified, but also just, I don't really know how to explain the look on his, his face, but it's, the, it's one of the main images of the movie. There's just something about the mix of terror, but also um, wonder is not the right word, but you just feel like he's experiencing something that he hasn't experienced before, that we were looking into the face of someone who's just facing a kind of terror that he's never 
experienced before or, 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 or thought conceivable. Um, I think about the faces of the the help in the movie, Betty Gabriel and Marcus Henderson, who play yeah. Walter and Georgina. Um, you could tell from the trailer that that they were going to be doing some some fuck shit, right? Like that they were going to be doing, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> that they're, 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 I, I mean, I mean, I immediately thought of like the kind of the the grotesquery of like blackface minstrelsy. Actually, when when I'm thinking about their faces, and there's just something about putting that in the white like bourgeois home, contemporary Obama voting home. That's just very unsettling. Yeah, I mean, Kalu um, is like just, interesting because I've only ever, I you know, I think I've known him from Black Mirror and I know him from Sicario, right. but right. his stoicism in the beginning of the movie was actually kind of like I was like, oh, I wonder if he's got the range really to do this. Like he seems yeah. like so like he's gripping the wheel so tight, and that becomes such an asset as the movie goes on and on. It's like he is so trying to hold this together, and it, he actually he is someone who is. It, the way he performs it is like you could see him get hypnotized. You could see him get caught yeah. on his on his uh, backside because, like, he, you know, he wouldn't. He's so co- concerned with what's right in front of him. And I actually thought all the like the family stuff that Catherine Keener, uh, you know, stirs up was actually very very effective. Stirs up. That's right. That's right. You see what I did there? Um, I, I, I had to. I had to. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think that you were mentioned with Allison Williams, the casting of uh, Bradley Woodford, who is sort of like America's oh, yeah. favorite liberal uncle, uh, yes. as this guy is just, uh, it's just really terrifying. Did you think, um, I wonder whether or not, you know, there's always like this copycat stuff, you know, I'm sure we will get uh, tons of lovely musicals out of uh, out of La La Land. Do you think that there yeah. are, this, this could be something that people keep exploring with this sort of social issue thriller? I kind of hope so. Um, I mean, but I'm, I'm interested to, broadly, I'm interested in just where horror is going right now. I'm interested in cheap horror, what it's doing right now, all the, the Bloomhouse movies generally. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really particularly interested in in these horror movies that are taking our current moment and really fucking with it in some way. Cause I think I, I, you know, to be honest, I think that trash art is so much better and more fun about social issues than, than regular kind of Hollywoody dramas. I'm just not interested in anything that's very polite. I want something that's very weird yeah. and that goes to a place that's just uncomfortable because I think that's kind of what it should be, but also because I like the combination of, you know, asking questions, but also just really entertaining. Both of us um, have written about this in the past, especially in regards to Blumhouse with how they kind of have this model going right now where these movies cost $5 million. And as long as they provide yeah. one or two takeaway scares that they can market, the filmmakers are kind of allowed to do whatever they want. And those are yeah. my favorite kind of horror movies. And I still, you know, y- 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 there aren't very many movies that are better about the madness of America than Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, these right. movies, once they get past the initial, like it's about, it's a slasher movie or it's a haunted house movie or it's a home invasion movie or whatever it is can get incredibly deep with like what they're talking about. And I, I agree with you. I love, we, we are both avowed fans of exorcist three. Um, oh my God. And that is essentially a ghost story. It's a, it's a possession story, but what happens in that movie is like you, you will look around you and make sure that you're not losing your mind while you're watching it. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, that movie really, I only saw it for the first time last year because I, frankly, I, I only recently got into horror movies because I was a scaredy cat for, <laughs> for most of my life. So I'm kind of late to a lot of them and I'm catching up. But Exorcist 3 really threw me. It's genuinely scary. 
Um, but it's scary and like it's spiritual terror for me. It's like you're watching someone, a skeptic, you know, like kind of the classic skeptic um, in a religious film, but really being taken to a place yeah. <laughs> in that movie in the worst possible way. I think that movie is scary in the kind of jump scare sense, but also just in the monumental sense of uh, your friend comes back from the dead and it's is really, it's really bad. Yeah. It's like the worst possible <laughs> version of it. And is the worst serial killer ever that you thought was dead. And it's just to fuck with you. Yeah. Um, it's It's because you don't believe in god that's why and Um, there's there's someone wandering around a hospital with garden shears and it's not 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 to do gardening um okay let's let's take a quick break we'll come back and cam and i are going to talk a little bit about the movies that are coming out in the next couple of weeks that we are excited for Hey guys, just want to take a quick break to tell you about CrowdCow. CrowdCow lets you buy the very best beef from happy cows raised without growth hormones or growth-stimulating antibiotics on small, sustainable ranches. They have everything from grain-fed to grass-fed beef and tried-and-true Angus to buttery Wagyu, all delivered straight to your doorstep. And every cut is dry-aged for maximum flavor, then flash-frozen and vacuum-sealed to keep it fresh and easy to store. Plus, their website lets you learn all about the ranch your cow came from. You can reserve stripped steaks and tenderloins or be adventurous and try oxtail shank or even bones to make rich stocks and broths they sell the entire beef head to tail this is premium beef you cannot get this anywhere else including high-end supermarkets or specialty stores so do yourself a favor and visit crowdcow.com to learn more and our listeners watch listeners can get ten dollars off their first order when they go to crowdcow.com slash watch that's crowdcow.com slash watch for ten dollars off your first order hey guys just want to take a quick break to talk to you a little bit about sonos when i wake up in the morning the first thing i do is turn on music it completely changes the atmosphere of my home and immediately puts me in a better mood. But even with my speakers on full volume, I could never hear what was playing throughout my house until I got Sonos. Sonos is a wireless home sound system that fills your home with pulse-pounding sound. All you have to do is position your speaker wherever you want it, plug it in, tap that app, and you can hear streaming music wherever you want via Wi-Fi. Just like that. No wires, no tricky programming, no kidding. With the Sonos app, you can control everything from anywhere in the house. Play a different song in the living room, bedroom, even the bathroom or the same track in every room which is awesome for parties you adjust the volume you can manage other settings straight from your phone and from your favorite music streaming services you get your entire collection of downloads including audiobooks and podcasts sonos lets you play it all so you can enjoy all the sounds you love anywhere in your home just go to sonos.com to learn more that's s-o-n-o-s.com Okay, I'm back with Cam. We're talking about movies that are coming out over the next couple of weeks. Cam, I always get uh, like a serotonin hit as soon, almost as, I mean, this Oscars was particularly wild, obviously. But like as soon as the Oscars ends, I feel like that's when the movie year begins. Like, and I get very excited for everything. Like you're, 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 you're sort of, cleared the palette you're no longer talking about la la land and moonlight in this false binary way and you get to like just jump in and now that summer starts basically on march 3rd you know yeah, we, we yeah. get like just we'll just be they'll be coming hot and heavy for uh for the next couple of months uh let's start i guess by talking about the biggest movie um logan which opens today uh in in most cities and tomorrow everywhere i, I think um you've seen it i'm seeing it tonight it is predicted to make something like 170 million dollars. This yeah. was a kind of a hail mary from or or a favor. I'm not, I don't know how you want to read the the tea leaves with this one, but basically it's reported to be the last Hugh Jackman Wolverine movie. James Mangold wrote and directed right. it. And uh, tell us a little bit about the vibe without giving too much away about it. 
I will say that this, first of all, this is one of the the few superhero movies that felt like, uh, in recent memory, that felt like it's absolutely a movie for adults. I don't, and I don't even know what that means anymore. Except it's kind of an annoy it when I see it thing. I watch this movie. It's about the level of violence. It's about the questions that it raises. It's got this man on fire vibe for me. It's a yes. little Tony Scott for me. Um, and that's just a little different, right? I mean, it's just a little different than uh, the past Wolverine movies, the other, you know, the Avengers movies, etc. It's just a little bit more grown, frankly. Um, and it is extremely violent. I just want to emphasize, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that I I never really, this is the first Wolverine movie that really made me think in a fundamental way about what those claws do to someone's body. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty remarkable. I really I really enjoy it. I also think that for me, the question that's raised by this movie is why our expectations have become a little bit low for superhero movies, frankly. Oh, interesting. Um, I, I just, you know, I mean, I don't know that I really get excited hearing about the next Avengers movie. Even as I'm watching them, I'm not hating them, but I don't get excited about them um, in the same way. I certainly was not excited about X-Men Apocalypse. Um, I wasn't excited about it before I saw it. I certainly wasn't excited afterward. Um, I, I just, this is the first one in a while that's really got me, you know, a little bit hyped to talk to people about it. Yeah, it's funny. I, th- this happened a little bit with Deadpool, like where you get yeah. kind of like it's the, um, it, it, it's like you have low expectations and then you start, so you so something gets a huge spike just by exceeding your already low expectations for something. Yeah. So the yeah. fact that Deadpool was basically like an entertaining 90 minute movie that was more or less like a, an Eddie Murphy action comedy from the 80s. Yeah was just like, yeah. oh my God, I can't believe what a blessing, you know. Uh, right. <laughs> but the, the fact of the matter is, is that these are like largely, I, you know, you can kind of see a, a, a trajectory and we're going to talk about this James Gray movie, Lost City of Z, that's coming out in a little yes. bit. But you can see a trajectory where a lot of the movies that you would say, oh, I'm so excited for the new James Gray or the new Noah Baumbach or whatever, those are going right. to be Amazon movies. Those are going to yeah. be Netflix movies. <laughs> and the movies that are yeah, going to be absolutely. in the theaters are going to be Passengers and space between us and and movies like Kong and Logan and Avengers and that's sad uh but it's also the reality so i think you start to look for reasons to get excited for things other than dunkirk and just kind of right. and kind of fire right. yourself up so would you say that yeah. um what was what's the kind of um most striking leap forward or or unique thing about Logan that that differentiates it from all the other kind of superhero fare that you've been seeing? Well, there's no uh, big battle scene in a parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> you mean like an Atlanta like box store parking lot? Yeah. There's like every single Avengers fight happens outside of a Home Depot. There's, there's no there's no parking lot. There's no airport. It's just it's it, so which is a step forward. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but it's also I guess what I, I guess a genre that I'm into is the grizzled veteran superhero kind of vibe. I'm into this Logan who's sick, um, who's extremely grumpy, who's unshaven, who's basically like a, a chauffeur. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm not really giving any way, any big spoilers away, but it's it's very much like a like I said, it's it's kind of like a Tony Scott movie. You could see if, if Denzel Washington were someone to be in superhero movies, this would be the one that he would have been in. Right. Yeah. Um, frankly, um, um, which was, is which is a step ahead. It, you know, our, our producer Zach had said to me before I came in, he was just, you know like, oh, can you try and like give some context for the timelines of these movies and. 
I, I mean, I could make an effort to do it, but like the one of the issues yeah. with it is, is that you know, like even the comic books. X-Men is constantly resetting or happening in alternate alternate timelines and people are dying and then there's like a thing and then yeah. they come back to life in another timeline and everybody is younger, everybody's older, everybody is wearing a different kind of outfit. So um, yeah. it's nice to kind of, I'm sure that this does, and just based on like the casting stuff, you can kind of tell that this is happening in a specific version of events. But uh I, I like the idea of an Unforgiven as a superhero movie. You know, I mean, this is kind oh, of like absolutely. one of the things that superhero movies, and for that matter, Star Wars movies or any of these franchises could start to play with is if you feel like you've got enough capital with the audiences to start doing these kind of genre experiments. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. I mean, and, and I'm glad that you kind of mentioned it in terms of Westerns, because that was what I remember hearing you know, when we were all suddenly very shook about the possibility of dealing with a hundred more superhero movies for the next foreseeable future or whatever, um, I was hearing the comparison to Westerns in terms of, block, uh, you know, superhero movies being just one of the basic major Hollywood machine genres in the way that Westerns were. And there are going to be great ones. You're going to have The Searchers. And then there's going to be the shitty ones that yeah. you can't even remember the name of. And I've been I've been waiting for these movies to kind of go more in the direction of greatness, not just in terms of how how they're made or how much they cost, but just in terms of tackling something. Like, tell us why superheroes are so important to us. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and the way that a great Western is, is implicitly about why the West is important culturally, like the cultural myth. Tell me why superheroes are important. Give me a sense of why why we're all going to see these movies because I'm not above it and I'm gonna I mean not only because I'm a critic but also because I just I like frankly I like shitty entertaining movies it's a good time but give me a sense of why we're here maybe and I think Logan is a little bit more in that direction I don't want to overstate it because it's an imperfect movie and above all it's really an enjoyable movie yeah but it's it just feels a little bit more serious not just in tone but just like yeah let's do something with this movie it has some self-respect for its like content, I bet. Yeah, I mean, like that's part yeah, of the. Absolutely. There's a lot of like I think that you know Jackman's always, whether you love him or or find it find him annoying, like he has his level of commitment to the things that he's doing is is pretty unquestioned, and he has always been. Uh, a very good steward for this character, I guess. You know, and lots of people love Absolutely. love Wolverine, and the fact that no one's ever been like, should someone else be playing Wolverine the way they do with Batman all the time? It's is he is Wolverine, yeah. and uh, yeah, he seems to care about the story, and he cares about the the legacy of the character. The one thing I would say about the westerns thing, I'd be curious to know what you think about this because Andy and I have often talked about this because we'll dork out about Star Wars, and I'll just be like, I wish there was just like way more Star, Star Wars movies, and the westerns. You know, especially in the golden age of Hollywood from, say, like the 30s to the early 60s and, and even even into the 70s, because there was also all the television westerns. Right, it's just right, like the right. sheer frequency of them meant that there were lots of weird ones. Like there were Anthony Mann westerns Absolutely. that were so psychologically complicated. And then there were John Ford ones and then there were Howard Hawks movies that were really cool hangout movies. And the problem I have sometimes with the superhero stuff and with the sci-fi stuff is that it takes so much to get one of these things made and they cost so much money and they have to do so much legwork for every other movie that's going to come after it that it's there's you can rarely have something that's like, yeah, we thought we'd try this. We thought we would try this kind of yeah. thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. You, you, I mean, absolutely. I mean, what part of what you're talking about is just a matter of because there were so many, some could be really cheap. So you could, and you yeah. could have things like acid westerns. Yeah. Like I like what would be the acid superhero movie? I would love to see. You know, I would just I would just love to see. I mean, you're right. I would love to see those variations. And really, it's a matter of westerns were combining with other genres. So you had western melodramas, you have western thrillers, you have western comedies. I would love for superhero movies. I mean, they're they're getting there a little bit. Like you can get the hangout vibe, for example, in some of the Avengers movies. Yeah. Um, and I guess the acid superhero movie would be Batman v Superman, or, or Doctor Strange, maybe, or, or do, right, or, do, or Doctor Strange. Yeah, right. it, it's it's, but uh, but it could go further. And I mean, maybe part of that is allowing some of them to be, frankly, kind of uh, less less of an investment, allowing them to be a little bit cheaper, giving it to a director who's interesting, but maybe not going to make the blockbuster just to see what happens. I think that's kind of what happened with Ant-Man maybe. Yeah. Um, which is a movie that a lot of people don't care about or maybe don't care for, but I appreciated it because it knew that it, you know, Ant-Man is Ant-Man. Yeah. I mean, it like Ant-Man literalizes how people feel about that movie i think yeah. but accordingly yeah. yeah accordingly though it could be a little funky yeah um, and it frankly. could be it could be funny and you could just have uh you, you could just have those guys making like improving jokes and have it have those like anchorman Absolutely. swaths of that movie like michael pena Absolutely. just kind of being like i'm just gonna make jokes for five minutes here um let's which was talk fantastic which yeah was uh let's talk a little bit about some of other films that are coming out um i want to talk about kong because yes. um i oh wait before we do can i just ask a quick logan question before i and you know i don't have to spoil anything yeah. but i yeah. have um a lot of my uh like retirement money is tied up in boyd holbrook stock <laughs> how how are, how is my money looking uh good <laughs> I, I would say <laughs> you don't sound enthusiastic. <laughs> um, I was I was just like I'm very excited for him. I feel like he's got because he's got that, and then he's got something uh, another movie coming out that I'm like really really hyped for him to be in. He's not as big in Logan as as I, I, I look forward to seeing what else he's in. He's not as he's not a, as big in Logan. He, he's got a lot of like. There's a lot of Boyd Holbrook put on 25 pounds of muscle for this movie. Well, he's in. Yeah. He's in Song to Song, but we don't know if he's actually in Song to Song. The Terrence Malick. Movie. No one knows. No right. one knows. And then he's also in the Predator reboot. So I'll, I'll, I'll be. Okay. I'll be um, I want to talk about Lost City of Z because yes. um, you are someone. Is this coming out in April? And I saw it last night. It's James Gray's new movie based on the David Grand book about a early 20th century uh, explorer's quest to find the city of gold, the, the like sort of mythical city of gold in the, on the Amazon. And um, it's, it's an epic. It is something that could have come out in 1953 or 1972 yeah. or 1990. Well, I don't even know about the 90s. But it is timeless in a way that... It's, I, I'm almost dumbfounded by how it came off. Are you? There is a subsect of critics who are just like James Gray is our greatest working artist. Or would you count yourself in that group? I'm a James Gray stan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I take some shit for it. <laughs> I'm prepared. I'm prepared for the flame. I do take some shit for it. Um, but yeah. What do you? I don't th- know why. It, yeah. Because it's, he's pretty inoffensive, frankly. Um, I'm a fan, and I'm a, a huge fan of this movie. Yeah, and so uh, I saw it. At, you saw it? Would you see it at the New York Film Festival? Or? I, I saw it at New York Film Festival. It premiered there, and I've just been dying to talk about it. It's been that was like September, October. Yeah. Um, 
and 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 yeah, it's got Charlie Hunnam. Also, I have to say, back to superhero movies for a second. It's sure. got Tom Holland, the new Spider Man. Yeah, and it made me really excited to see him be Spider Man. I, I have to say, I have to admit, like one of the cool things about Lost City of Z is it's it takes place over the course of about forty years, three thirty five, yeah, forty years, right? And uh, Hunnam and Pattinson, Robert Pattinson, who's also plays his, like basically his his sidekick in this movie. Um, Age very gracefully. It's not easy when you hear about uh, you know Ro- Martin Scorsese needs 120 million dollars to you know special effects <laughs> Joe Pesci to look younger. They could have just cast these guys and made them grow older. Absolutely. Um, I'm sh- I am shocked that Charlie Hunnam is going to be like a good middle aged movie star. Uh, oh my god, I can't wait. Yeah, and and this. Did you recognize Robert Pattinson though? Did you know that was him? I knew I he was in it, and, and I know okay. basically now at this point he seems to be like the non-performance art version of Shia LaBeouf where he'll just like any good <laughs> filmmaker, Robert Pattinson yeah. will do the most like thankless role. And he is literally yeah. like Chewbacca in this movie. He just like shows Absolutely. up and he'll be like, Oh, let's move over here. And and he's like helpful, but that's like, that's his arc. Um, Absolutely. It's a, it's, it's a movie that um, I, I really did not to put too fine a point on it. Feel it's a you know it's a river movie in a lot of ways. Like you you Absolutely. float down this movie and you go all over the world with it, and it it, it is so exciting in a in a way that I haven't had that experience in a theater. I mean, for people who aren't familiar with Gray's work, could, what, could you talk a little bit about some of the reasons why you're such a fan of his? Well, I mean, the thing about James Gray is that he he's had some not great box office success. So I, I'm not even sure that a lot, many people have seen his movies. His last movie was The Immigrant, which had a, a botched release um, starring Marion Cotillard and uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is also in Two Lovers with Gwyneth Paltrow. I think what's really great about James Gray is that he makes these, he makes contemporary melodramas and the kind of like the, the new Hollywood-y sense. Mm-hmm. But he... Uh, I don't know. I just feel like I walk away from his movies with just such a sense of where they're set, who they're about, like a sense of place, a sense of time. He's very detailed and he takes what feel like ordinary dramatic tropes and just instills them with this sense of um, anguish or wonder or whatever he's going for. I mean, I, I think about Joaquin Phoenix's character in Two Lovers, who in the beginning of the movie tries to commit suicide because of a, a relationship um, and then falls in love with Gwyneth Paltrow, who lives in his building, while his parents are setting him up with another woman. Who among um, us and has so, not gone through that? <laughs> which is, I mean, right, everyday stuff. Yeah. Um, and 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 it, it sounds it frankly kind of sounds insufferable when I listen to myself talk about it. But when I watch the movie, I just feel like it's very sensitive, but also very dark. And uh, he just makes satisfying dramas, I guess, yeah. is the way that I would put it. The just, way the the idea of taking these tropes and and actually giving them their due. It's like I there's a character in Lost City of Z played by Sienna Miller, who's Char- Charlie Hunnam's wife. Yes. It is the most yes. thankless role. Her job is literally to be like, I'm sad that you're going to the Amazon again. That, like like she's right. she has like five scenes that are like that. And there is an actual arc to her character. She Absolutely. has like a backstory. There Sienna Miller has enough room to give this character like an infusion of of 
humanity and and idiosyncrasies. And it's just such an incredible choice because it's a movie where you in any other situation somebody be like, come on, man, we gotta get back to the river. Let's go, let's go. Absolutely. You know, it, it, it's. I mean, I think James Gray saw American Sniper and was like, so Sienna <laughs> <laughs> about that plastic baby, yeah. about that baby, <laughs> about that non-role. I mean, I mean, and it's a pretty direct comparison because it's the same kind of you know the wife at home type of story. But in Lost City of Z, it's it's and I, I say this as a I say this as a, you know an Eastwood fan. One of the problems with American Sniper is that he doesn't do much with her character. But what's exciting about Lost City of Z is that her lack of ability to get beyond the home is part of the broader questions the movie's asking about civilization yeah. and, and modernizing. It's like there's like there are ideas there. There are ideas at stake in her in her domesticity, um, which doesn't mean that the role is not domestic, right? She doesn't get into the jungle. Right. But it does mean that her roles, her her scenes have ideas. There's things happening. Yeah, and I mean, also it's just a, it's a lovely performance. I just just absolutely. say it's, it's a lovely performance. And uh, I guess if if you're interested, I mean, like I guess the best way I could recommend it is like this is an incredibly thoughtful meditation by someone who is obviously obsessed with Raiders of the Lost Ark, but is you know right. it's, it's like what is the slow food version of Raiders of the Lost Ark? Right. Um, right. Let's if talk- Raiders of the Lost Ark were about the sublime. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it Finding was like sublime if in the Raiders jungle? of the Lost Ark spent a ton of time like going through like the vagaries of university the university in the 1930s in america or something instead of just oh, being i love like, that stuff yeah I, I love that stuff all the those r- university lecture debates killed me yes. i was falling out in the theater yeah. i've never had so much fun watching a bunch of old dudes debate esoteric shit i like- love i love it like people from england really know how to like ether each other in parliamentary <laughs> settings um i want to talk a little bit about kong which opens pretty soon and uh I personally like one of my favorite um, sub. Like, it's not even a subgenre, but it's just like a thing that happens in movies, and it's been happening since. I would I would mark it at the Con Air, The Rock kind of era, Armageddon, which is basically yeah. like Hollywood takes a preposterous premise and gets gives it you know spends a ton of money on re- realizing this premise, whether it's a meteor hitting Earth or raiding like breaking out of Alcatraz or whatever. Right. But right. then they for whatever reason hire the ten best actors to be, <laughs> and they're just like, sure, let's have Ed Harris and Steve Buscemi be in this movie. Like that sounds great. Let's you know like, and uh, yeah. that's the, the Kong and pr- previously Godzilla. Although I'm not sure we got right. the best of Aaron Taylor Johnson in Godzilla. But they uh, he Kong Golden Globe for that performance. Yes, no. right. <laughs> he was a Golden Globe for being in the scene where Wagner plays and they jump out of the plane. Um, he, uh, you know, Kong has Tom Hiddleston, Brie Larson, Toby Kebbell, who I still sit, I'm still riding for, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, John C. Riley, and it kind of like list goes on and on. John Goodman, even right, is, uh, and, is and basically either? John Goodman doesn't make bad movies anymore. Uh, so. I mean, it, this looks like it's a little bit more comic than the Godzilla, which was incredibly serious, um, yeah. which was you know, a lot yeah. of uh, David Strathairn like giving <clears throat> solemn speeches about the end of the world. Uh, Kong seems to be a little bit trashier, but are you excited for this one? I'm always excited for I mean, I mean, I, I rewatched the trailer right before right before this and i saw brie larson shooting a gun i've been waiting for that <laughs> i deserve that so i'm excited for that um and and i'm excited i see people falling out of helicopters i see people exploding for no reason so i'm i'm excited i do I, kind of what i liked about godzilla was that it 
it teased us with Godzilla. Like it, it, it kind of, it was very traditional in the sense of we're building up to the monumentality of this monster. I'm already seeing a lot of King Kong in the trailer, so mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be that kind of movie. So I'm kind of curious about what the structure of it's going to be. Is it going to be mysterious in some way? Um, is it just going to be action comedy the entire way? Who's going to die is always something that I think about. Yeah. I feel like Samuel L. Jackson's going to die because he doesn't he always die? He does in like any he... movie involving a killer animal. So like, you know, Deep right. Blue Sea, <laughs> it, it's required that he gives a long monologue and then gets bitten in half um someone's gonna get ethered and then he's gonna die yeah he you know like the you're right about the the sort of long wait in godzilla for godzilla uh i feel like people take the wrong lessons from jaws where they're like oh in jaws they didn't show the shark till like two-thirds into the movie and it's like yeah but they didn't spend two-thirds of the movie talking about the shark only you know like (laughs) or wondering whether like the end of the world is going to come about because of this shark right right. um yeah i'm excited for kong that's coming out next week what else have you got on your radar that you're excited to see uh excited to see might be over overstating it but curious about I'm, i'm i have to say i'm curious about beauty and the beast i'm curious okay i'm curious because i I'm curious broadly about this Disney project of live action remakes of their of their kind of animated franchises. So um, Maleficent, which is not really a remake, but like a, you know, a contribution to that myth and Beauty and the Beast. They're about to do Lion King. I'm interested in what the revision's going to be, because like Maleficent, like my joke about Maleficent is that she turned out to be like this eco feminist, <laughs> like somehow. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm curious about Beating the Beast. I've seen like the clip that's online. I'm curious about Emma Watson as Belle. Now they're saying Josh Gad's character LeFou, who's the sidekick to uh, Gaston, is gay. I'm curious how that manifests. Itself. It's all happening. <laughs> <laughs> It's it just everything. Stanley Tucci is it just everything is in it. Um, I, I'm I'm curious. I didn't actually know until I rewatched the trailer just now that it was going to be a musical again. Um, with all, like seems like all the same songs, which excites me a little bit less. Yeah, because I already had Beauty and the Beast. Uh, best Picture nominee, Beauty and the Beast. I'm sorry. I, I, I should. <laughs> that is the official title of that movie. Um, I don't know. I like Emma Watson. Much of the time, yeah. And I feel like I've just been hearing about this movie for so long, and I really this is directed by Bill Condon. His last musical, I think, was Dreamgirls, which I didn't like. So I want to give him another chance. Uh, I don't know. Are you? Is this on your radar at all? It's do not. You, do you, I'm actually probably a little bit more excited for the other uh, summer or spring Emma Watson movie, which is The Circle, just because yeah, I'm sure. very into James Ponsold. Just as a yeah. as a filmmaker and Boyega and uh, Patton Oswalt Boyega, and yeah, and maybe good Tom Hanks, which we haven't had great Tom Hanks in a while. That's all he was really good. But, you know, yeah. I, we haven't had like movie star Tom Hanks in a minute. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm I, I'm curious about Beauty and the Beast, but I'm probably more excited for the circle. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, my now like raised blood pressure and like an inability to sleep over alien covenant just because (laughs) i think the alien covenant may have my favorite cast since oceans 11 like fassbender waterson james franco uh billy crudup guy pierce carmen ajogo danny mcbride amy simons and damian bashir is is like tough to mess with this is apparently going back at least based on like the quotes you read from the people who are in it is um Going back to Alien 
the first one, the horror roots of that, like the, yeah, um, it, it looks just straight up terrifying. But uh, I, I am excited to see. I, I, I'm while on one hand, I'm like, oh, like is this just basically like they land something, bites somebody, then all of a sudden all hell breaks loose. Like that's, I, I think that there's a little bit of the seams are showing there. I, it, I was yeah. excited by Prometheus being like this huge mythological. Uh, diving into like the reasoning behind what happened with Alien, but this looks just like kind of unfuckwithable. Like I don't really know who. Nobody makes stuff look like the way Ridley Scott, Scott makes things look, and I'm just so I excited agree. about this cast. I, I'm excited about the cast. I like. I mean, frankly, I I love space movies. I love space horror in particular because I think space is horrifying. Oh, so yeah. that very much matches. You know, I mean, I I even. I, yeah, I, 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 I kind of I don't want to say I like Prometheus. I'll say that I'm really entertained by Prometheus and that I, I'm always in the mood to defend it when people shit on it. There's just because a don't lot think you can really get out of bad. Michael Fassbender watching Lawrence of Arabia and shooting I baskets. Mean, right. A sleek, blonde Michael Fassbender being weirdly robotic is fantastic. Yeah, because that's who he is yeah, yeah yeah and and it's good to have a movie that acknowledges that. I also yeah, I like the darkness of it. I like Catherine Watterson's haircut. Yeah, she got the Ripley. <laughs> I it's think great. In terms of right, right, right. <laughs> I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what James Franco is going to do. Um, I'm I curious think to he's going to get killed in be. like the first two minutes. Like I, I think that the world is ready for that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he seems like the kind of person who's like, sign me up for the role where I walk into the closet that the alien is in. You know? And what I love about him is that he's game for it. Oh, Absolutely. sure. Yeah. It's, just, it's like, that to me is like Gwyneth Paltrow and Contagion volunteering to be the end of mankind. It's like, I'm glad <laughs> that you understand. Zero. I know. What are some... <laughs> glad other... you understand how we, we're all on the same page, I think. Are there other space horror movies that you... I, I like I like Event Horizon a lot. That's a... Um... I like Event Horizon. Does Sunshine count as horror? Oh, I was just going to say Sunshine. I adore Sunshine. Yeah, Sunshine is, is. I think it's Danny Boyle's best movie for me. Um, I think it. It's a movie I think about a lot. Oh yeah, it's just the aesthetic of that movie, and also just the the music is so gorgeous that the, yeah, the scene yeah. where he's going to repair the the solar panels. I think about Sunshine all the time. Uh, Sunshine's very very good. Okay, so we're excited yeah. about Kong. We're excited about Lost City of Z, Beauty and the Beast, and Alien Covenant. Cam, it was really awesome for you to come on. I really had fun. Yeah, this is fun. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for so much for joining us, uh, and we will be back. Uh, next Monday with a mostly television episode, Billions, Big Little Lies, a bunch of other stuff, so stay tuned. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to our buddies at Sonos. Sonos is a wireless home sound system that fills your home with pulse-pounding sound. That's amazing, isn't it? From streaming services to downloads, including audiobooks and podcasts, Sonos lets you play it all. And with the Sonos app, you can play a different song in every room, adjust the volume, and manage other settings all on your phone. So you can enjoy the sounds you love anywhere in your home. Go to sonos.com. Hey guys, some people still don't get podcasts, what's out there, how to listen to them, and you can help change that with just one click. Right now, think of someone you care about. What podcast would they really love? Is it The Watch? Got it? Now do it. Hit the share button on the bottom left of your screen. If they don't know how to listen, offer to show them. Tell us what you shared with the hashtag tripod, T-R-Y-P-O-D. Thanks for spreading the word.